So we have been in a series called Sighted. We're continuing that series today. We're going to talk about Saul's conversion, uh, how he was radically transformed uh, by this vision of Christ. And as God spoke to him directly and began to take this guy who was persecuting Christians and hating Christians and turned him into somebody who, uh, who wrote most of the New Testament, right? So uh, we're going to be talking about him today, and I've been excited about this. Um, I, I like, we have a video that I'm going to show you that's going to kind of, it, it's kind of a long video, admittedly, but it, it's kind of, a, a, kind of a synopsis or an overview of kind of what happened in Paul's con, or Saul's conversion. Um, and so I want to show that to you this morning. But as we continue in this series called Sighted, what we're going to see, one thing that, that's uh, very important to us is in our, our, our transformation, in the way that we see things, God transforms us and uh, he transforms the way we view other Christians is what we're going to see Paul in, in, a, in a very profound way. His view of Christians was transformed significantly and also what he saw in what we know to be the Old Testament, uh, the things that... Um, God had written through the prophets and, and recorded in, in Jewish history, all of those things as he began to see those in the light of Christ and how that was transformative in his life, right? So um, it's very important how we see things. And being, you know, that I'm cheesy and I like cheesy things, I said, you know, in 2020 we'll call this series Sighted, right? So at the beginning of 2020 I came up with a series name called Sighted. Uh, it is very important for us to keep our eyes on the road. It is very important for us to keep our eyes fixed on where we need to be going. I have personal experience with this, okay? Um, uh, for whatever reason, the Hedgepath family has taken upon themselves to systematically try to kill off individual members of our church congregation uh, by taking us mountain biking. Um, amen. Jimmy knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, poor Jimmy, uh, he went mountain biking with them. And I didn't think he was going to make it back. It was, a, what, a 60, 75-mile mountain, bike, mountain biking trip? At least all uphill in the snow both ways, right? Um, so so I, I, for whatever reason, me being a glutton for punishment, they invited me to go uh, mountain biking with them. And I said, oh, well, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Jimmy, he tried to warn me, tried to tell me, they will kill you, you will die, do not go. But I said, no. I can endure. My eternity is secure. It is fine. I will go and I will mountain bike with the Hedgepath family. So um, many blisters and sores later, um, uh, we finally reached the, the top of, I, I believe it was, it wasn't Everest. It was like the Matterhorn, right? So, it, so it's not something ter terribly large. It's just the Matterhorn. Um, and so we reached the top of this thing and they tell me how exciting it is to be going down the hill, right? So, uh, and I don't know why my voice just cracked, forgive me, <laughs> puberty's tough, but anyway, uh, so, they, man, it is awesome when you go downhill, and, and Joe, uh, who graciously runs our lights every week, thank you, Joe, for doing that, he told me, he said, Kenny, one thing you need to remember is you do not need to take your eyes off of where you're going. You fix your eyes right in front of the front of your tire or else you will die. And I was like, you must be joking, right? Like, I can look, I can enjoy the scenery as I'm going down the hill, right? It's 180 miles an hour. It was no big deal, right? So, um, and, and <laughs> so I thought, you know, being who I am, I thought, well, I can handle this. I don't need to follow all the instructions. You know, I'm a man. We don't really follow instructions. So I, I'm going down this, I'm going down the Matterhorn, right? And it's like a 90 degree slope, you know, and it's uh, but I'm going down, and, and, 
And I said, you know what? I know what they said. Don't take your eyes off the road. Look exactly where you want to go. Or else if you don't, you'll subconsciously or consciously, either one, I don't know which, but you'll veer to wherever you're looking. Um, and I thought, no, that's not me. You know, I can, I can go straight. Going straight's not hard, right? I took my eyes and I just glanced just slightly to the left because I wanted to look down the enormous bluff that I would have died had I, had I turned left. And, and, and no, it, it, I, I did not think it was true, but immediately my bicycle veered to the left and I went. Y'all listen, I could, I could hear the bark of the tree going by me. That's how close I was to this tree. I went down this little embankment thing and then kind of came back up and it was like I was a BMX champion, and it was awesome, but I thought I was going to die. I really, I was going so fast, and and, and, and I just, I remember hearing the bark of the tree go past my ear, woof, like that, and I thought, man, if I would have hit that tree, it would have been the end. Like, y'all would have been finding a new pastor, all that kind of stuff, like, and it, but thankfully, the Hedgepath family did not kill me. Um, I survived, I lived. And, and, and I'm here to tell the tale, but let me tell you something. If you're riding a mountain bike at 180 miles an hour down the side of the Matterhorn, like the Hedgepath family will try to take you on, don't take your eyes off the road. Don't take your eyes off of where you're going. It's, it is critical for you to be focused right in front of the front of your tire. When they tell you that, it's not a joke. You really need to be focused right in front of your tire, or you will die. I speak from experience. You will die. You will run off the road. You have no choice. And for whatever reason, your bike just naturally goes that way, whichever way that you look. So after I learned that lesson, I can tell you that I never, ever took my eyes off the front of that tire. I mean, I was, I was dead set focused on the front of that tire because I did not want to experience that near-death experience again. That was very traumatic for me. Um, all in all, uh, the, the, the bicycle experience uh, that, that Joe and Don took us on, uh, it was terrible, and I never want to go on it again. So all in all, uh, it, was a, it, was a, uh, it was an experience that I never want to replicate. So, but anyway, I say all that to say that um, in, in our Christian walk, in our lives, we too have to be focused, like dead set focused. Because if we, if we take our eyes to the left or to the right, which, which God warns us throughout his word, he warns us over and over again, uh, that, that we are not supposed to look to the left, we're not supposed to look to the right. It is important that we stay focused on where it is that we're going. We can so easily get distracted. Uh, as a matter of fact, Jesus says in Matthew 6 that, that your, your eye is a, a lamp to your whole body. And if your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, then your whole body is full of darkness. And he even goes on to say, you think that you know what darkness really is by by what you see with your eyes, but you don't really even understand the kind of darkness that I'm talking about. And that's basically the Kenny Nicks version of that particular passage in Matthew chapter 6. But it really is true in our lives. If we take our eyes off of what we're supposed to be doing, if we take our eyes of where we're to be going, we can so easily get distracted, we can so easily get messed up, we can so easily get off, off track to the point where our eyes are bad, it's bringing darkness into our whole lives, and we can get so easily get distracted to the point where, where you, you, you figure out, man, I'm a long way from where I thought I was. I just barely moved my eyes just a little bit, and before I know it, I'm miles and miles away from where I used to be. That's why us keeping our focus and our being sighted on exactly where it is that we're going is so incredibly important. And today we're going to talk about um, Saul, who later became Paul. As a result of this Damascus Road experience that we've, we've all heard about. And that's what we'll be reading about in Acts chapter 9 today. Um, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna start it and then I'm gonna take a break and we're gonna watch the video about it because sometimes I, I think that it's good for us to um, to see things that help us to understand them a little bit better if we actually watch them and then we can talk about them. I think that this is one of those situations where that's really beneficial. So I'm gonna read to you a little bit in Matthew chapter nine, beginning of verse one. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So this guy named Saul is actually seeking out and killing the followers of Christ. Um, the followers of Christ are actually pursuing what they call the way, and we'll see that in just another verse or so. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. So here is a guy who obviously has some clout in the Jewish religion because he has gone to the high priest and asked for permission. He's asked for letters addressed to the synagogues, which would be in these remote locations, these synagogues around, to actually capture Christians, both men and women, which was kind of odd in those days that you would want to capture the men and the women. But they were so trying to squelch the gospel of Christ that they were taking the men and the women, and he wanted to bring them back to Jerusalem in chains. And it says, as he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. And we're going to actually break here to kind of show a video. We'll go ahead and play that now. the street called Straight. Ask for a man they call Paul of Tarsus. Oh, what? He beats us. He arrests your followers everywhere. I have chosen him to proclaim my name to the world, to the Gentile, their kings, sons of Israel. Who is that? 
Who are you? Speak. I'm one of those you want to destroy. Baptize you, Paul, in the name of Jesus Christ. God has chosen you to change the world in his name. So many times we look at our sins and we think that they are great and there are many and they are. But so is God's grace. And it is truly amazing. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down and around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Can you imagine the voice of God saying this to you? Why are you persecuting me? He's not just saying, why are you persecuting my people? He's saying, you are persecuting me. 
This is the voice of God saying this directly to this man named Saul. And Jameson and I were talking about this the other day. And sometimes our preaching may sound hard and sometimes it may sound difficult to digest. And it may sound like, man, I don't want to listen to that. But the truth is, is that these words right here, when we sin, that is exactly what God is saying to you. Why are you persecuting me? It is a direct offense against God, and we are coming after him. And what we said, what Jameson and I said the other day is, man, you cannot understand your need for a Savior unless you understand your sin. You cannot understand uh, where you need to get to and where God is calling you to without first understanding where you are. And the first thing that God points out to this man named Saul is where he is. And he is persecuting God. It's written in red so you know that this is God speaking. He says, you're persecuting me. So when you say to yourself, maybe my sins aren't as bad as Saul's. When you sin against God, that's exactly what God is saying. You're not just sinning against a person. You're not just sinning against yourself. You're sinning directly against God. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Once again, in a direct offense to him saying, this is Jesus. I am the one that you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Now, It's obvious to me that he understands a bit about who he's talking to. He understands the power of the voice that he's listening to because he first says, Lord. Understanding not necessarily that it, it was Jesus, but it was somebody of great authority that he needed to listen to carefully. And now God gives him instructions. You get, now you get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but he, he opened his eyes. But when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now, one thing I want you to see here is, is that when he got to Damascus, he's blind first of all. And it says he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. I want you to, to understand that this is not just because he was so distraught over the fact that, that, that he, he was now blind. That the thing that he was doing here is he is fasting. That he is fasting. He is communing with the Lord. That God has stricken him blind. And now he's got this chance to get close to God. And that is what he's doing. It's a time for him to exercise spiritual discernment and understand what has just happened to me. Why am I blind? What is God showing me? And, and, and sometimes I think that as harsh as this may sound, that, that, that Saul was stricken blind for three days. Sometimes I think that that's exactly what we need, you know. And I'm not asking to be stricken blind for three days by God. That's not what I'm asking. But what I am saying is this. Is sometimes there's so much distraction around me and so much other junk that I'm looking at. It distracts me from what it is that God's really calling me to do. It distracts me for, for the profoundness of what, where God is in my life. And there's, there's a two-way street here. See, God has, has stricken him blind, 
to allow him to get close to God. And yet he is also, he is coming to God in the same way by fasting and getting close to God and communing with God through his fasting. So you can see that there's two sides of this whole thing that's coming together. That he has recognized who it is that he has been speaking to. He recognizes this is Jesus. And here he is. He's communing with God. Now there was this believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision called Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. And the Lord said, go to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for, for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He, he is praying to me right now. I have shown him a, a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see. Now here we, we get this other character that inter, intercedes the picture. Uh, we just saw the video, and they give some, you know, creative liberties there. And, and is it actually according to Scripture? Kind of, sort of. But you get the whole idea of what's going on. And, and God appears to Ananias, and, and he says, go and find this man named Saul. He said, he is praying to me right now. And, and, and I think that there's, there's got to be this whole thing that's going on inside of Ananias at this point, right? So here's a man that, that everybody knows who Saul is. They know what he's done. They know the fact that he's killing Christians. He's taking them and changed back to Jerusalem. And here God is telling him, hey, Ananias, you go to his house. You go to the house where he's staying and you ask for him. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm a Christian and Christians are being persecuted and killed, and I find out that here's the lead guy that's got a letter from the high priest saying, you can go and you can find other Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem in chains. Whether they're men or women, it doesn't matter. Bring them back. And God all of a sudden calls me to go and find this dude in the house and ask for him. That's going to be a strain for me. There's going to be some internal struggle going on there. There's going to be some, some, some places in my life where I'm going, I don't know. Is this really God calling me to do this or is this me? You ever have that feeling inside of you? Is this, is this really God, or am I thinking that I should do this? And you ever go through that whole eternal struggle? Is it really God speaking to me, or is it something else? Is it something I ate? You know, what, what is it? What's going on, you know? The reality is, and I'll tell you that based on my experience and, and dealing with, with the calling of God in my own life and different things that God's called me to do, when it is hard, when it is very difficult, and you know in the end it will bring glory to God. Most of the time that's his voice. Most of the time that's his voice. Does God call us to do some easy things sometimes? Absolutely. Does God call us to do some hard things in our life? Yes, most of the time. And that's the reality of the calling of God. And, and here, here's a man who, is, who knows the Old Testament. He knows uh, the way things are, are set up in the Jewish faith. And, and he is so fixated on that that God has to strike him blind so he can see the truth and he has this encounter with Jesus and here Ananias is having an encounter with God and he's got to make a decision too do I do what God has said or do I just be obedient and he even goes to the Lord Ananias is cleansed I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to believers in Jerusalem and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon your name there's a little bit of a rebuttal here from Ananias, who obviously is a godly man. The Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings 
as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, he's saying this. He's saying, what I've asked you to do is hard, and I get that, Ananias. What I've asked you to do is, I know it's stretching your faith a little bit, but you've got to understand how I'm going to use this man. You got to understand how I'm going to use him to proclaim the gospel to the rest of the world. And, and here we are today reading these accounts by Paul of what he encountered and what he endured. And, and even later in the book of Acts, he, he talks about his testimony. He talks about how God rescued him and, and opened his eyes and all these things. And, and here this man, Ananias, has this choice to be obedient to God. Now, if you think about it, I think that this is the way that we look at our lives a little bit, right? Like we look at our lives as kind of insignificant and, and not really matter so much and, and I'm not really a big deal and, and my, my life isn't such a big deal in the whole scheme of things for the kingdom. And, and one of the things that I think that we see here through the life of Ananias is this is a man used by God, faithful to God, and he was used by God to, to bring Paul, who wrote most of two-thirds of the New Testament, to, to bring him out of his blindness and for God to use him. The thing about the gospel is we never, we never know how much God's going to do with it, right? We never know who's going to be impacted by it. Our, our duty is to be obedient to God. Our duty is to, when God gives us an opportunity to do and obey as he's called us to do, we don't know the, the eternal effects that that might have. The fact that 2,000 years later, people will be talking about this guy that we led to Christ. I mean, like, like that's the way that God works. Yes, it's totally the work of God, and yes, he, he is doing that work, and it all belongs to him, and he is totally sovereign and all of that. But God uses us in the middle of that plan to impact the whole world. That's why it is so important, no matter how insignificant it may seem, or your life may seem like it doesn't really matter in the big scheme of things, let me tell you that it does. It, you are important to God, and when you are called by God and used by God, man, it has eternal consequences. This man named Ananias, I'm sure he didn't think he was a big deal at all. But here we see this as being the man who went to the house to find Saul, who later became Paul, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, the people of Israel, to kings. It says all of that here. And he also says that he must suffer for my name's sake. Ananias, he's got stuff that he's got to do too. And it's not going to be easy for him either. So Ananias went and found Saul. And he laid his hands upon him. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and fill and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. After he ate some food, afterward he ate some food and regained his strength. So here we have this man named Ananias going to this man named Saul and he says brother Saul oh what profound words those must have been you know I, I tell you all the time that there are words that just jump out of the page at me and when, I, when I'm reading God's word there are things that, that like I, I, you know I'll read a story and I'll like just glance over and like oh that's cool you know whatever I did my daily Bible study and and that's really cool, and that's a cool story and all that. And then God will take me back to maybe two words. And these two words are pretty profound in my opinion. 
when they just kind of jumped out of the page at me. Here, Ananias, who is a follower of Jesus Christ, a follower of the way, coming to this guy who is persecuting Christians. He doesn't know a whole lot except what God himself has told him. And he goes to him. And, well, what a picture of grace it is when Ananias looks at him and says, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. You know what he's saying to Paul right immediately from the get-go? He's saying, you're family. You're one of us. God has told me, and, and I can see it in you, and you are my brother. He says, Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm sure, I'm sure Saul was like, oh, how do you know that? Who told you that I was on the road and lost my sight? So let's look at what Saul does. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. He stayed with the believers. These people that he was sent to persecute, the people that he was sent to bring back in chains, he stayed with them. When you come to faith in Christ, your picture of believers changes. Am I right? How you see other believers, how you see these brothers and sisters in Christ, because you don't see them that way prior to coming to faith in Christ, right? Am I right? So... Um, I'll, I'll give you an example And names will remain anonymous Because these are people very close to me But um, there was this man Who, who um, and, and, and don't be judgmental Because you've all been here So you know that, that if, if a church ever got your name That they were coming to visit you I'm like what, Monday or Tuesday night? Like right, so that was visitation night And you know as well as I do That you have been there And you've seen them pull up in the driveway And you cut off the lights and you army crawl across the floor Don't act like you haven't because I know that you have I've seen some of you army crawling across the floor, okay? <laughs> Y'all are laughing. The ones that are laughing is the one that was army crawling. I'm telling you right now. Ain't that right with it? So, every one of us has probably done that, right? That's before you came to faith in Christ. Well, this, this particular gentleman was, was talking to me one day, and he was one of those army crawlers like the rest of us, right? And, and he came to faith in Christ, and then all of a sudden... All of a sudden, he was so on fire for God and in love with God, he wanted to tell people about Jesus. And he wanted to go to people's houses and tell them about Jesus. Well, well, he would pull up to their house, and they would cut off the lights, and they would army crawl to the back room just like he used to. And he was like, I don't understand these people. I don't understand why they, they don't want to hear about the love of God. They don't understand how, how God loves them, and we need to tell them that. And I'm like, that's the transformational work going from one of the people that's, that's hiding from the church folks that come to, to visit you and just to love on you, to being one of the church folks that comes to love on you and visit you, and then looking and not and being in disbelief how somebody wouldn't want to hear about this amazing love that was available to them. We get so transformed, we can't even see things the way that we used to see them, right? We're so in love with God, we, we become so in love with people that... that they were so completely transformed in the way that we see everything. And that's the way that it happens with Jesus Christ. And when you become God-sighted, you see things differently on every aspect. And especially how you see other believers and you see them as family. That's why when somebody in here, when they're hurting, when they're in the hospital, that's why, that's why we hurt too. 
That's why we have such compassion and love, and, and, and man, we want to pour that out on people. And, and if we're not, if we're not doing that, then we should really ask the question, are we brothers and sisters in Christ? That should be one of the key identifiers as, as a family of God, as people that love on each other in such a way that they want to reach out to each other, and they want to be like a family to each other. Even when we make each other mad, which happens, okay? We still love each other, and we still want to be there with each other. Because we're family. That is the picture of what the family of God is supposed to look like. And you know as well as I do, you get mad at, at different people in your family and, and you want to strangle them. I get that. But at the end of the day, you still look at them and they're still family. Am I right? They're still family. And that's the way that we're supposed to look at each other. And here, Saul is staying with the believers. All who were all who heard him were amazed. Is, isn't this the same man who caused this devastation among the Jesus followers in Jerusalem, they asked? So his reputation precedes him, obviously, right? And, and didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. So what is happening here? So they're talking about it. They're talking about who this guy used to be. And now he's preaching. It says Saul's preaching became more and more powerful and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. So how was, how was, um, how was Paul proving that Jesus was the Messiah? What, what proof would he have had? What, what, what evidence would he have had? I think it's evidence in what we know to be the Old Testament. He would look back at Scripture, and every time he saw Scripture, he would see, he would see Jesus in it now. He would see the rescuing power of God and everything that, that was written prior to, right? He, he was looking at, at, at Scripture and he would say, don't you see this? This is what was said and, and this is what our, our Jewish tradition says. And, and look, look at what it, what it really means. And, and God has made manifest the reality of this in Jesus Christ. So he was using the Old Testament, I believe, as proof that Jesus was the Messiah. That was his proof. All the things that he knew, and he, he had all this head knowledge over and over again. All these things that he had learned in his Jewish faith. Now he was using that as proof that Jesus was the Messiah. I, I, I have such tremendous respect for Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, because his understanding of the Old Testament, if you look at, at all the things that he says... In his words and all the things that are written in the New Testament, you can see that this is a man who knew the word. This is a man who fell, who fell in love with God's word, the things that he had said, and now he's writing God's word. Under the direction of the Holy Spirit, he's, he's putting pen to paper and actually writing the things that God has, has laid on his heart. And these are the things that we're reading about now. One of the things that, that bothers me is how we, how we look at Scripture, unfortunately. How so many Christians look at Scripture. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about myself sometimes too, okay? I, I was in the Galleria in Birmingham the other day. And um, it, it almost broke me to tears. I, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I was going past one of the kiosks in the center of the mall. And, and I just caught something out of the side of my eye. And, and I looked at what it said. And it was they were selling bracelets with Scripture on it, right? And, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that because I have a bracelet with Scripture on my wrist right now. There's nothing wrong with having Scripture on a bracelet and wearing it around. But what caught my eye and what broke me down was what it said. It, there's this little sign on top that said, 
Grab something that makes you feel good. That's what it said. Grab something that makes you feel good. And I thought, man, what if Saul of Tarsus, because I had this message on my mind, what if Saul of Tarsus was walking by that little sign and these are words that he died for. These are words that he was beaten for. Let me see if I can find right before the service, right before I got up here, I started. Now, I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death time and time again. Five different times a Jewish leader gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Uh, once I spent a whole day and night adrift in, at sea. I traveled uh, on many long journeys. I faced danger in rivers from robbers. And, and I faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I faced dangers in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. wonder I wonder if, if Paul was walking past the kiosk in the Galleria if he would look at that and say so this is what we boiled scripture down to just something that makes us feel good we take a little snippet here and there and we, we, we just that's all we wanted for us to make us feel good there's nothing wrong with scripture making you feel good there's nothing wrong with that but it's the context it is all about the context and the context of scripture is this it is not so you can take these little snippets of scripture and apply them to things that are going on in your life so that you can so 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 that you can feel better about what's going on right now. The purpose of scripture is this, so you can take the whole picture of scripture and see the saving God who rescued you that shows you that no matter what you have right now, no matter what you're going through right now, there's an eternal perspective. If you're God-sighted, if you see things in the right way, that you will see an eternal perspective that means that you are rescued forever. And whatever you're enduring right now it, it is light and it is momentary. That's the beauty of Scripture. That's why God's Word is so precious, and that's why it deserves to be read, and that's why it gives us hope when we read it. And it, it is alive, and it is breathing, and it is the only thing in this world that can give you hope. And I'm not just talking about a temporal hope that just lasts for a little while and gets you through whatever struggle that you have for right now. It does have that ability, but it has that ability because it is an eternal perspective of a saving God. And that's what should make you feel good. Not the fact that you can overcome whatever it is that you're dealing with right now. It's because you have already overcome what you're dealing with right now because you have an eternity secure in the presence of an almighty God. That is the power of God's word. And that is the reason Paul was beaten and shipwrecked and stoned and beaten to the point of almost being dead. Saul's preaching became more and more powerful and the Jews and the masses couldn't refute the proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews uh, plotted together to kill him. Oh, it didn't take long, did it? Here is a man who's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's a man who, who really sees the power. And now all of a sudden, they are wanting, they're plotting to kill him. They were watching him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. So there would be houses in the city walls, and they lowered Paul down. And, and some people say, well, man, 
you know, God is, God is in control. Why don't you just trust God and walk out of the city gates if you're supposed to go? You know what? Sometimes God uses us, uses, tells us to use our brain so that we can go on and fight another day. And here I believe God was telling Paul, you know what? You need to sneak out, and this is the way you need to do it. So you can go, and you can preach this message other places. So I'm going to wrap this up really quickly here. In the beginning of verse 26, and when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. So he's trying to meet with the, the apostles, the original apostles of Jesus Christ. He's trying to meet with them, in particular, trying to meet with Peter, and they're all turning away because they're terrified of him. And then we see the interjection of another man. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas. Two words, then Barnabas. Brought him to the apostles and told them Saul had seen the Lord the way, on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly the name of Jesus in Damascus. So here this man named Barnabas, who just, I mean, he's just right here. And in this particular passage, he's just got a little snippet of scripture. And look how instrumental he was in the fact that he brought Paul to the disciples, to the apostles of Jesus Christ. He's the one that was used by God for that purpose. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them. Preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, he debated with some uh, Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. Once again, he's, he's under, the, uh, uh, under the threat of murder. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. So I know that I've read a lot to you today, and I know that it's probably been hard to stay focused on all of it today. I, I get that. There's a whole lot in here. Man, I could probably preach about it for two days straight. But let me tell you this. The message is this. The message is very clear. The message is actually pretty simple. That when you have an encounter with God, it so drastically changes you that it changes the way you see things. It changes how you view the world. It changes how you view other believers. It, it changes how you see everything. And even it changed for, for Saul. It changed the way he saw Scripture, the way he saw things. You know, before I became a believer, I didn't understand believers. I didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't know why they did the things that they did. I didn't even know why they went to church on Sundays. I didn't know why they would want to go and spend, you know, an hour and a half, two hours on Sundays to go and hang out and sing some songs. I didn't get it. And, and when I was, I was about nine years old, and, and I've told you guys this story before, but I, I, didn't, I didn't get why people raised their hands in church. I didn't understand it. I, I would see them raise their hands in church, and I would I'd be like, okay, what is that about? I don't understand that. And I always see them, you know, they're, they're worshiping and they're raising their hands. So, so one day I gave it a shot. One day I tried it. I said, well, I'm, I mean, I was only nine years old, but I said, I'm just going to raise my hand and see what it's like. And I looked around and, okay, I don't, I don't feel anything. I doesn't feel any different than when I was singing the songs with my arms down to my side. What's, what's the deal? And then I came to faith in Christ. At nine years old, I came to faith in Christ. And, and remember distinctly after that I went back to church and, and I raised my hands in worship and I got it I got it because I understood surrender and I understood that when I raised my hands I was 
raising my hands in worship, but I was raising my hands to surrender to Him. And I got it. And I understood why I wanted to be there, and I understood why these other people wanted to be there. I had a love for people that I didn't know why I even loved them. I had a love that was inside of me that I couldn't explain, and I was loving people that I, I didn't even know, and I didn't understand that, but I knew it was real inside of me. follower of Jesus Christ, you know that there's something about the way that he changes the way we see everything that absolutely rocks your world in a way you cannot explain. But you get it. You just get it. My prayer today is if you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, that you've never had this time where, where God has, has, has just opened your eyes, that today might be that day for you. That today you would just get it. For you to get it, you know where you have to start. Understanding that when God said those words to Saul, 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 why have you persecuted me? You have to understand that that's the place that we start from, and we all start from that place. But man, we have this beautiful thing when God blinds us, takes away all the distractions of the world, and says it's just you and me now.